Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. Everyone, welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. Uh, podcast is constantly uh, going through changes and um, all kinds of exciting and new and fun stuff is going on. So thank you for being a part of the journey with us. It's definitely been a journey since... I recorded the very first episode um, in my car as I was driving around Tulsa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and now we're here. At, we're just on the precipice of 50,000 total plays. That's crazy. Which is a huge milestone. That is insane. And one that I'm really excited to cross. We're at 49,000 so far. Wow. Like 49,200, something like that. That's a lot. It is. That's a lot. So wow. Thank you, everyone, that um, has come along with us. Those of you that have been listening since the beginning, the probably the only the couple of you guys. Um, that have st- stuck with us since we first started and those of you that have been with us for a good while and those of you that are new or maybe this is your very first episode no matter how long uh, you've been listening to us we appreciate you and we thank you for your constant support and uh, also a thank you for helping our um last episode on Megadeth to be the first episode to hit 300 listens in the first week. <laughs> yeah. We did it. We did it. That's another surprised. big milestone. I'm not surprised, though. I mean, Megadeth is just one of those bands yeah. know, that has almost like a cult following. Yeah, they're definitely much revered in the heavy metal world, but... Right. I mean, yeah, it's... It's it's still great to know that after all this time, like we're still um, getting better numbers that we're not plateauing or, God forbid, going down. Yeah. So it's exciting to continue to have milestones like that. So yeah. hopefully, with each time we have these bigger episodes, we're getting more people that are tuning in on a consistent basis. And. Um, yeah, we're just we're just really thankful. I just wanted to kind of take some special time at the beginning of this episode to say thank you because I think that we can kind of brush past it a lot of the time. But we definitely want you guys to know that we do um, very much appreciate you guys because without you guys, we wouldn't probably still be doing this. Yeah. Yeah. I know you wouldn't after a year yeah. of this. I've said it before, but I'll say it again that, like, by this point, I would have expected to maybe have, like, 
you know, 150 total plays over every episode. Wow, really that low? I mean, just I thought that this was going to be like, you know, only close friends and family members were going to give it a try and probably wouldn't stick with it. But somehow we've tapped into something that a substantial amount of people are are coming back to. And that's a pretty cool thing to think about. And we're just going to always continue to try and uh, try and think of new ways to create better content for you guys. Yeah. And um, a good place to keep track of all the new things we're doing is over on our social media pages. So we've got an Instagram page and a Facebook page. I don't think that we're going to add other social media platforms in the future. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to get a Twitter. Yeah. Probably won't be a Twitter. Cause that's that Twitter is not what it was 10 years ago. Um, and uh, that's just, that's just a whole just that's a black hole of yeah <laughs> of of suffering yeah and it, it probably probably isn't uh worthwhile to have a twitter for a podcast yeah probably not <laughs> not effective and, i mean i don't i don't even know what tumblr is or how that works i don't think we would need one of those yeah um definitely we're not gonna have a snapchat <laughs> or, or you know just like i feel like Instagram and Facebook are going to kind of just be the two that yeah uh, that's just that's just what they'll be. That's so um go check us out over there, you know, we always are announcing when our episodes are out and talking about our uh videos and if anything like really crazy happens in the news then we'll uh talk about it there. And it's just a also a cool place for us to be able to see who our audience is and let them see who we are and uh, kind of have the ability to connect with you guys. Right. So, um, yeah, and then another place that we can um, connect with you guys is over on our Patreon page. So uh, in the episode description, there is a link to Patreon there. So if you guys want to support the channel with a monthly pledge, we've got two options. We've got a $3 tier and a $5 tier, and that's per month. Uh, We've got exclusive content over there for you guys, as well as just, um, you know, we want to be able to connect with everyone that becomes a patron there. So go check us out there as well. Um, On the $3 tier, we... We'll give you guys episodes up to about three weeks in advance. That's the plan. We're working towards that. And then on our $5 tier, not only will you guys get um, episodes early, but you'll also get to have a second cover song that's going to be available only to you guys. So one of them is going to be on YouTube. One of them will be there. And speaking of YouTube well uh every week we've been putting cover songs out for the artists that we're talking about and this week is no different so go check us out over on our youtube page yep 
And uh, make sure that you subscribe, hit the notification button, leave us a comment, all that jazz, like. And then on just whatever platform you're listening to this episode on, especially those of you that are new to this channel, make sure you hit the subscribe button if you're in, if you enjoy the content. And um, let us know what artists you would like for us to cover in the future. And Grant already knows what I'm doing right now. I do. Which is checking our comments. No. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I can't see you because we are recording this separately. But, yes, uh, we are. I'm not surprised. Do we have any new comments? No, we don't. Oh. Well, hey, there you go. If you leave us a comment, we'll read it. Yes, we will. Uh, read it live on the air. It's been known to happen. It's been known to happen. Yes. And uh, we are, I already start, I'm starting to have a plan for some of the uh, suggestions that you guys are bringing into us. It's just, it probably won't ever appear immediately just because I plan pretty far in advance what artists I'm going to do, unless it's just by coincidence that you suggest an artist I was already planning on doing. But give me a couple months and you'll start to see your suggestions get onto, um, onto the show. Mm-hmm. And I think that's everything that we need to promote ourselves. Okay. So um, let's let's talk a little bit about some music news. We had a um, we had a very sad passing. Yeah, I, uh, I believe I they, heard about this. Yes. We were actually in the process of recording our last episode when I got the uh, the little ping on on my phone saying that uh, Peter Green had passed away. Yeah. Which, um, if you guys don't know who he is, you should go back to our Fleetwood Mac episode. He was their original guitar player and original front man and songwriter. Mm-hmm. He died at the age of 73. Hmm. We do not know cause of death. Um, I'm At 73, I wouldn't say that that was natural causes. You know, we don't know, was this uh, corona or something else? Right. But Peter Green is, is a member of Fleetwood Mac that only, like, the musicians, the people that are into music really know about him because he was before their rise to pop stardom. Mm-hmm. Um, he was part of that that first iteration when when Fleetwood Mac was like a hard blues band, which is you know for those of you that only know their mid to late seventies hit making era, it's kind of hard to imagine. Right then of a gritty blues band but that's how they got started out in the mid to late 60s and you know they were they were a british band and just that's just that's what they did and so eventually we'll make an episode on the peter green era of fleetwood mac because it's it's very criminally 
underrated and um, under um, just undershown. Mm-hmm. Like people, like people don't put enough emphasis on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they assume that whatever they did before they were famous just wasn't important, and that's not true. Yeah. So, um, sad to hear of his passing. You know, it's just further we move away from the the classic rock period. The older these guys are going to get, and the more are going to start disappearing. So we got to make sure that we really appreciate them while they're still alive right you know Ringo I think Ringo Starr recently just turned 80 yeah he's like the first rock and roll guy of that next generation to reach the 80s mm-hmm. or one of them mm-hmm. I mean sure there's others but I mean as far as like big rock and roll guys from the 60s reaching their 80s like that's that's getting up there yeah so a lot of the a lot of the 70s guys are in their 70s now yeah that's crazy yeah because we just had a a Beatles volume 2 yes we did I didn't even bring that up yeah that was our very previous episode it was but we hope that everyone enjoys it yeah we have a definitely a shift from that for this episode. Uh, a ship? A shift. Oh, a shift. A shift. I was like, <laughs> what do you mean by a shift? No, like, is no, it, no, no. Is a connection? Very, <laughs> no. Oh, yeah, yes. We definitely do have a... Uh, this is definitely a shift, not only in genre, but in time period as well. We're going from the 60s to the 90s right here. Right. So I feel I'm assuming we're now transitioning into this part of the show. Yes. Let's transition to talking about the band. So the band this week is Rage Against the Machine. Yes. Okay. So for those people who don't know who Rage Against the Machine is, which I would even say I don't really know, even though. I've obviously like listened to these songs. Like, what are they? What would you describe them as? Um, they are a political socialist movement that happens to make music. Okay. What are they because musically? <laughs> musically, uh, I know. I wanted to kind of give the 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 smart aleck answer first. Yeah. <laughs> Musically, they are one of the most unique combinations of genres. Okay. Uh, There's nobody else that sounds even close to what Rage Against the Machine is. They have elements of heavy metal, of hard rock, of blues, of funk, uh, rap, hip-hop and punk and it just all kind of puts it together into this weird amalgamation of just like I don't even know what genre they belong in I've heard people say that they're alternative metal but alternative metal really doesn't even have a specific like 
parameter of what it's supposed to sound like. It's feel like alternative metal is just kind of like where you put bands that you don't know how to classify. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, cause I've heard Jane's addiction be put in alternative metal and they sound nothing they like, they sound Rage nothing like Rage Against the Machine. No. It's just the bands that don't fit neatly into any one genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, you know, but it's just, they are a truly unique band. There's just, there's never been another band like them. I mean, there is the joke that um, they built their entire career off of Anthrax's I'm the Man. Mm. That, that, that essentially is what their music is. Which, to a, to a musical extent, it kind of is because it's super, like, heavy. It's very riff-oriented. and uh-huh. But the vocals are kind of rap slash spoken word slash intense screaming but but very different. But not in a metal way. Not in a metal screaming. Yeah, it's 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 weird. Um but they take on more serious subjects than trying to make, you know, humorous rhymes. Mhm. Yeah. yeah, um I I feel like the connection between th- those two things is is kind of um I mean that, that's, that's the joke it's not a real connection. Yeah. yeah. It's because like I I think that had Anthrax never made that that Rage Against the Machine would have been just as popular. I don't think that it would have had any and they would have yeah. their rise to power. I don't think that it impacted how they sounded either. Because, because it all comes from kind of the bands that they were already in beforehand. Because you mean the rage, they were the rage members. Yes. So let's go ahead and talk about who Rage is, because there's there's only four members of Rage Against the Machine. Right. Same four. There's the no. Whole there's no. There's. There's no alternate members. There's no lineup changes. Oh, that's nice. It's just four guys. Mm-hmm. Okay. And two of them are what you would call the leaders of the band. And then the other two are kind of... Uh, not saying that they're not important at all. All four members bring something so important and unique to the band. But as far as being outspoken and being the creative leaders of the band that would be um tom morello who's the guitar player yeah i'd say probably the most famous member of the band because he's kind of gone on to become a uh a guitar um like a guitar god yeah but in his own weird way there are people who just like worship him and everything he does and and try to learn how to do the different sounds that he does and and I never understood that, you know, as a guitarist, but, I like, you know. He I, was, he's one of the last great innovators of the guitar. Yeah. To where, to where when he came along in the similar way of what Eddie, Eddie Van Halen did, where people were, like, floored by how he was doing what he was doing. But it's in a completely different area of the guitar where with Eddie Van Halen was a lot of the technique as well as some of the sound. 
but with Tom Morello just going, just like, how was he getting his guitar to sound that way? Yeah. Because yeah. they would specifically print on their albums that all, they would say all songs made with guitar, bass, drums, and vocals. Mm-hmm. Just kind of saying like, there's no synths, there's no keyboards, there's no, um, you know, sound effects spliced in. It's just, it's, you know it's all being made naturally which is really cool yeah and it gives it a nice like organic feel uh-huh which which is something which, that queen used to put on all their 70s albums was they would famously say there's no synthesizers in order to propel the fact that Brian May was doing a lot of otherworldly stuff on his guitar mhm mhm yeah, I, th- I think a lot of uh, modern bands, even metal bands, have really lost that. Mm-hmm. You know, in the in the fact that you know, if you don't know how to make a sound on the guitar, you can just you know use synths to get it in there. But you know, it, and and once again, like I don't really understand like the whole obsess over Tom Morello, but I can also respect him because of that fact that he's able to take a sound that he has in his head or maybe just like come up with random stuff. Like he has a catalog in the back of his mind of how to make millions of different sounds and just pulls them out when they're needed. Mm-hmm. And well, I think, that's, yeah. I, th- I think one of the other reasons that he's held in such high regard is I think that he is one of the greatest riff writers of all time. Oh, that's true. I mean, true. you know, in the same category as why why do people worship Tony Iommi? It's not necessarily for his technical playing, but just because of how great of a riff writer he was. Right. I he, think you can say the same thing about Tom Morello. He's not really a technical player, although I have seen instances where he kind of lets loose because he's he's the the metal inspiration for the band. Like he's the guy that grew up listening and learning Metallica and uh, Judas Priest and Motorhead, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was the that was where that influence came from. And the band was from Tom. And you know he does have the ability, but he doesn't use it in Rage because it's not needed. Instead, he goes for this this different approach of let's match incredible riffs with this weird zany almost anti-guitar solo solos you see i was just about to say that he was another victim of slayer syndrome where he'd have great riffs and bad solos but now that you say that like for much of these songs they had they do have weird solos but like what would you put there instead yeah you know and you know, just I definitely do not believe that the solos are bad. I think they're, and we'll get into a little bit more about that when we start to talk about what the what the message of the band is. Mm-hmm. His his solos serve a purpose, and so um, okay. So yeah, that's Tom Morello. Let's go yeah. ahead and talk about the other main creative force in the band, and that's vocalist slash lyricist. Zach De La Rocha. 
Wow. I just knew him as Zach. Yep. <laughs> I've heard it I've heard it pronounced De La Rocha, De La Rocha, De La Rocha. <laughs> I wa- I I think it's De La Rocha. Okay. Um a uh, a very very angry man. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yeah. So yeah, on top of being the lead singer, he is the the prime lyricist. I don't think any of the other band members have written lyrics for the group. So, you know, he's he is the wordsmith. And as I was getting ready for this episode and trying to pry into the lyrics, I started to really realize just how brilliant of a lyricist he actually was because everything had like two or three meanings stuffed in every single line right right to where even like stuff that would be so you would think that it's so simple or even a throwaway line when you actually look at it he's it's so clear that it's like delving into all these obscure political issues and movements and events that was just like this guy like how is he thinking of all this stuff and at the same time making it sound awesome and having it flow so well right that's that's something that i just i wish i could do and that's mm-hmm. something i think everybody wishes they could do but yeah he really does pull that off i mean even with like simple somewhat repetitive songs like the one that is on our youtube cover yeah Mm -hmm. like it does have multiple meanings especially because he'll like change up a vocal line here and there so where it sounds kind of similar but he's saying something else yeah yeah which i which is kind of clever Mm -hmm. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna really dissect that song yeah i, I would hope of, of the episode because mm-hmm. what I, everything i was learning about was, was very fascinating right um but he also his his vocals are he never really like sings no i have heard a lot of people debate on what he's actually doing because there's a lot of people saying that he isn't rapping that it's that it's you have to view him more it's it's spoken word mm-hmm. i don't completely agree with that i think it depends on the song like right. a song like killing in the name i feel like that's more spoken word um but a song like say gorilla radio that feels like a rap flow mm-hmm I think it depends on the song or something like uh, like the verses on Bulls on Parade. Yeah. Where, it's, uh, where the rhythm of what he's saying is so smooth and and such a thing that you would hear in hip hop. Just and, with and, more bite and venom to it. Right. And, and to some extent, this may just be my ignorance of rap, but rap is spoken word to a rhythm. Right. Yeah, I mean, kind of. there's. I think there's people that would be offended by that. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't I'm, I'm saying that back to rap. my ignorance, you know. But. I don't normally listen to rap, but I, my wife is an avid rap listener, and so whenever she gets control of the radio, that's what we listen to. 
<laughs> so I've heard enough of it to where I don't feel like I'm super ignorant. Um, she she especially likes all the gangster two thousand stuff, and I just laugh the whole time. <laughs> okay, uh, but yeah, so he you also just kind of looking at where their influences come from, like um, you know, he not only is bringing the hip hop uh influence him but he's also the one that brings in that punk aspect to it because he was in a punk band before rage against the machine okay so like that was and that's how the band started was tom and zach getting together tom was from a a metal band and zach was from a punk band which in the mid to late 80s that was a very much a um a contentious point punk and and metal did not fit well yet together. That wouldn't be more towards the '90s when that would really start to um, start to mesh. When you start to have crossover thrash and um, and groove, and and when punk would kind of get its second wind in the pop punk scene, and you would start to get you know hardcore melding more with metal in the 2000s. Right. But in the 80s, like, the punks and the metalheads were very much anti each other. Mm -hmm. And so they had a lot of disagreements on in the early stages of what Rage Against the Machine was supposed to sound like. Because Zach hated all the metal stuff that Tom brought, and Tom didn't like all of the punk stuff. And it was when they brought in the other two members of the band, which is uh, Brad Wilk on drums and Tim Crummerford on, uh, or Tim Crummerford on bass, that mm-hmm. we kind of found the perfect um, combination because what they bring is the classic rock, funk, hard rock feel to it. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you've got. You've got, like, say, Tim Comerford that's a great slap bass player, but also will say that Getty Lee is his all-time favorite bass player. Wow. Um, so he's bringing that that kind of that proggy yet funky, like, if you were to cross Getty Lee with Flea. <laughs> and then, kind of. And then you've got Brad Wilk that's just that's very much almost like a John Bonham like player. Yeah. That's just that's super solid, super he's very thundering. He doesn't play things light on the kit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, he's not really going for these super complex grooves. He's just he's the the glue that just holds everything together and pushes it forward. They both are. They really do. They both are. I mean I think they're one of the most underrated rhythm sections in all of hard rock. For sure. And and even just the sound of them playing together. Like that bass tone is amazing. And the fact yeah. that they're so tight together. Mm-hmm. Yes, they are a very tight band. Absolutely. So those are our four members. Yes. So 
four members, but there's only three albums. Oh. Okay. So they actually have not had a very long career. That's something I didn't know. Okay, so we... There's there's technically four albums, but one of those is a covers album. So that kind of... That one kind of doesn't count. Yeah. As far as... uh, And the album's not that great. There's a couple of cool songs on there. Um, But... There are three albums, which all three of the albums are represented in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, you had the debut album that came out in 92. Which was their self-titled. Yeah, they're self-titled, and they they got big instantly from that record. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And And then you had Evil Empire in 96, and then Battle of Los Angeles in 99. Okay. I didn't realize it was that uh, order. Okay. Yep. And then Renegades, the cover album came out in 2000, which was just kind of a collection of like songs that kind of already recorded. But by like 2001, the band had already broken up. Hmm. They had gotten back together a couple times throughout the years. There was a big get together and tour in like 2008. Mm hmm. But then they hadn't been back together until they announced their reunion at the end of last year. Yeah, I remember that. And uh, now, obviously, that's all been put on hold because of Corona. COVID-19. Now, you mentioned in last episode that this was a timely band. Yes, why do you say that? So, um, obviously, we've we've had a lot of civil unrest the last several months. You know, with right. um, with a lot of the uh, with the Black Lives Matter movement really uh, kicking into full gear. We had the the horrible uh, killing of George Floyd. And just, you know, with all of the focus on police brutality and just, you know, the 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 social class of workers rising up to riot and take down the powers that are that are that they see as oppressing them. Uh-huh. That's that's all what Rage Against the Machine is about. Oh, for sure. And their sales have skyrocketed since all of this has been happening. Oh, really? Because this is what they've been saying has been, was going to happen for 20 years now. Wow. They thought it was going to happen a lot sooner, but like, just you're starting to, you're looking into their lyrics and you're starting to go, wow, okay, now this really is the time that we're living in. Yeah. Now, I want to go ahead and take this time to make a little bit of a disclaimer because we can get really tricky with this stuff here. Um, I don't want our podcast to be a broadcast of our political views. I don't want to tell people what they should believe 
what they how they should vote how they should stand on so social issues um pretty much and when you're dealing with a band that's as political as rage against the machine um you know what what the stance that i'm gonna take with all this is that i'm gonna tell you exactly what they're saying right I'm not going to say whether I agree with it or disagree with it. I'm just going to put everything out there and I'm going to let you, the listeners, make up your own mind. Right. All we're going to do is we're going to be neutral fact givers because, you know, I understand that not everyone that listens to us is going to share our same, the same perspective as we do. Right. And, um, you know, that's that's not what we're about. We like to keep things fun here. We want things to be about the music. And so that's just that's just not where where we're going to go. Yeah. So I kind of really had to think about this before doing this episode of just going, okay, I, I need to really just be impartial with how I present a lot of this. Mhm. Because there are things that they say that I agree with and there are things they say that I don't agree with. Well, I mean, you'll but, you'll get that with just about every artist, you know. Yeah. So, and they're no different. Mm-hmm. But so, uh, yeah. but the thing, but the thing that I really think is important, and what this band has brought is important, is bringing up a lot of things that the that people don't realize is going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that something that is a big part of what I think is any person's duty and responsibility is to make sure that they're looking for the truths them the truth themselves mm-hmm. and not just taking everything face value. Um, don't take what your, um, what your news channel says as complete fact. Um, don't say what, don't take what rage against the machine says as fact. Mm-hmm. You know that, that's a that's a famous thing that uh, t- uh, Tom Morello was actually saying. There was an interview uh-huh. with him, and he was talking about, you know, when he was growing up, he didn't trust, you know, he, the news. He didn't trust the politicians. He trusted the music, you know, and he trusted himself. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, at least lyrically, shows up. And then also, it's like the fact that they're so unique. Like they trust their own musical ideas as well, you know, their own lyrical and their own musical ideas. Nobody will be the way that they are for a very long time. I think mm-hmm. maybe I think maybe we're getting to the point in history where we're gonna maybe soon start seeing repeats at the level that they were. Yeah, but it's been twenty years, you know, and we haven't had one yet. Yeah. And I can kind of get into that a little bit. So let's talk about what the message and the stance of Rage Against the Machine is. Because in their minds, the message was always what was most important. The music was a tool to broadcast the message. Okay. The message came before the music. It was what was most important. So the message... It, yes, I don't know what the message is. Well, there's, okay. there is a guesses. 
But now, of course, they talk about a wide myriad of objects and of um, political events and stances, but literally every single song is political. There's no, you know, songs about you know chicks or um or like history unless it's to prove a political point you know they're not going to sing about dragons and valhalla (laughs) or they're not going to talk about like you know zombies and and demons and you know all, all of their songs are in the political vein and there's a there's a common theme that runs through their whole body of work, and it's about the people rising up to overthrow the powers. Okay. It's um, they are very much pro anarchy. They are pro socialism. Pretty much pro communism. Um, they're they believe in true democracy, which is where the people truly have power, the power, and not the government. Mm-hmm. That the government is at the beck and call of the people. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are severely anti-authoritarianism. Yeah, I gathered they that. Are, they are <laughs> very. They are very anti-capitalist. They hate capitalism. Um, And that's what their music is about. And then just they use different topics and events to hammer in that message. But as I – and I really realized this as I was looking through all the lyrics that that's the underlying theme of the whole thing is – just their their message their warning they're warning the normal people the people that are in power saying the more that you exert your power over us one day it's going to snap and there is going to be all hell breaking loose Mm -hmm. and that one day the people are going to say that they've had enough and you know and that's what's going to happen. Right. And then also their call to the people is don't uh, don't just sit by and allow the powers to oppress you. Rise up and take the power back for yourselves. Hmm. Okay. That's about what I would have guessed, although you said it in a much more elaborate, more complete way. <laughs> yeah. By the way, pardon pardon for the random sound effects. This it's part of being at home recording. Yeah, <laughs> but we'll but we'll keep it in and let it be natural. <laughs> yeah, just a living room conversation about Rage Against the Machine. Yes, it's a it's a fantastic band name. I just have to say that. Yes, and and even then though that that's what you know the band is. That's it in a mm-hmm. nutshell. Mm-hmm. And the hilarious thing is that over the years, um, Republican politicians, the people that Rage Against the Machine hate the most, mm-hmm. have come out and said, oh, I love Rage Against the Machine. Oh, that's actually kind of funny. <laughs> um, I think it was uh, 
I'm trying to remember his name. I think it's Ryan Paul, who was the uh, the vice presidential candidate when um, Mitt Romney was running. Oh, Paul, Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan. Yeah, Paul I knew it was Ryan. Ryan Paul or Paul or some one of those two. Yeah. <laughs> he he came out and said that he was a big fan. And Tom Morello, like, blasted him. Just like, do you have any idea that the songs we're singing are against you specifically? And... Um, even the last couple months when Rage Against the Machine has come way back into the public consciousness, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of people just going, oh, I just wish they would keep their politics out of their music. I'm a big Rage Against the Machine fan, but they're being too political right now. Oh, they always were. And that's what they're saying. It's just like, have you not known that that's literally the the band name tells you that this is a political band? Right that uh you know like what did you think they were raging against the washing machine yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh. it's the same machine from welcome to the Mach- well to an extent kind of welcome to the machine rage against the machine the same machine yeah no yeah um, and that's why i say it's such a great name is a it sounds really cool and mm-hmm. b describes them um and their music too has that feeling of like i guess for lack of a better term like a like a street festival like you're all outside and you're like listening to a band like share their political views and you're at like an art festival and like i don't know to me it sounds like a protest yeah okay yeah, well, and, and part of that is maybe the the album art on their debut album is mm-hmm. from an outdoor uh, image. Yep, and uh, is in Vietnam, I believe. That that that's a. I don't know where that was. So the, that's an actual image. Oh yeah, it is. It's a real image of a of a monk setting himself on fire as as a form of protest, self immolation. Wow, it's not a it's not a painting. It's not a sketch. It's it is the real photo of a monk killing himself to protest the oppression that was put on their religion, due largely in to what they are saying is uh, shadow puppeteering by the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So. Now, when you when the when the message is what's most important, and the music is just the the tool, because the way that Tom Morello says is that the music is meant to draw people in, and then when they get there, the lyrics are supposed to open them to a new perspective. Mm-hmm. They expected by the end of the 90s that they were going to start a revolution. And the revolution happened. And then that's why they broke up. Because they felt like they weren't accomplishing what they set out to do. These people are radicals. They, and and I'm not saying radicals in a, in a bad way. I'm just saying like, just like these people, they wanted change. They weren't just entitled musicians that just felt like 
espousing their political views like a lot of people do not really saying it because they truly believe it but because they want to get brownie points from whatever group they're trying to pander to Mm -hmm. but like these people like you know rage against machine they wanted to truly change america and they thought that their music would do it and at first it looked like it would have happened with how big they got so quickly Mm -hmm. but i think people are just so used to you know i mean we just came out of you know big hair metal and and all the the really extreme lyrics from thrash and and stuff like that that people are so used to the listener artist separation Uh uh-huh and that you can listen to something so extreme and then not believe it at all not even be not even be changed by it Mm -hmm. and that's what we've now found is that all uh all these people after the fact are still not realizing what the message was that they were just listening to the music and tuning the lyrics out. Mm-hmm. And it was just like the music, it was almost like the music was too good that they kind of, you know, what they intended was the music to just be the hook ended up becoming the entire, the, main event. Yeah. the entire course for so many listeners that they were
It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about Rage Against the Machine and their members and their message and their music. And now it's time to talk about the six songs that we have selected for this episode. So, Lucas, for the listeners who are joining us for the very first time, what do I mean by six songs? So uh, this is the part of the episode where we get to just kind of talk very concretely about the band, about their music, give specific examples, and also just provide a, a stepping stone for people that either have never listened to this band before or know very little about them. This set of six songs is going to give you um, your best first impression, your best the best songs to start with. And also I pick and arrange the songs in a way to where throughout the set, there's a a flow and an ebb. There's, you know, the songs transition well off of each other. And by the end, hopefully you've had a emotional experience, a release of emotions, a catharsis, if you will. Um, Rage Against the Machine, they don't do ballads, they don't do uh soft songs, it's pretty much yeah. just variations of different hard hitting songs. But I feel like I still was able to craft a set that has a distinct beginning, middle, and end. Yes, yeah. so uh, and we'll get into that when we talk about the songs. But the way that you can listen to these songs is in the episode description, there is a link to a Spotify playlist. And um, from there, you'll be able to listen to not only the songs from this episode, but all the songs from our previous episodes as well. So make sure that you guys um, listen to those because it would be very sad if you listened to this whole episode and didn't listen to the songs. Even if you've heard these songs before, listen to them in this order. You still might get something new out of it. So... I think we can go ahead and get to the first song on this set, which I originally had a different song at the very beginning of the set, but when I thought about it, I was just like, there's only one way that we can kick this thing off. Yep. (laughs) With those big open chords that introduce us to the song that we actually covered on YouTube. Yep. Killing in the Name. Which is... The calling card for Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, this it's, is, this would, is their song. Yeah, this is this is their biggest song. It's their most recognizable song. Um, the more time has passed, the more high in stature it has become. Not just for them, but in all of rock and roll and hard rock. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is one of the great rock masterpieces like this is this is this is just one of the greatest 
hard rock songs ever made. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's got some great riffs in it. Nice mm-hmm. grooves. You can really feel the tightness, like, and we'll see this in every single song between the bass and the drums. Um, and and incidentally enough, you mentioned in our first segment that there's there's lots of different lyrical meanings to stuff and i really kind of want to talk about that for each of the songs so even though the lyrics in this song are somewhat repetitive Uh uh-huh what's this song about so this song was written in response to um do you know about the rodney king beating that happened in the early 90s i have heard it mentioned but go ahead and recount so there was a huge riot in la in the early 90s and um the reason that the riots happened was because um there was video taken and this was like you know, way before the era of mobile phones to where now everything is filmed. So it was rare whenever we would get footage like this, but someone just happened to have a camera and film these four cops just mercilessly beating um, African-American man named Rodney King Mm -hmm. after pulling him over. Just they had their nightsticks out and just, you know, Mm. he was well past the point of being um you know surrendered and unable to fight back and just just was pummeling him he didn't die but i mean just he had to he was in critical condition had to be sent to the hospital and uh the four cops went to trial and they were acquitted they didn't get in any trouble like probably maybe got a suspension or but nothing near what should have happened, mm-hmm. and L.A. just went crazy. Mm-hmm. Big, a large, large amounts of the city burned. Mm-hmm. Very similar to what happened after the George Floyd incident this year. Uh huh. Okay. So I- that happened. I want to say that happened in like either ninety or ninety one. Right. And so that's that's the the incident that inspired the song, but it's not meant to be just about that incident, but about the systemic racism in the police, which was until really this happened. It wasn't something that people thought about a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it was, it was kind of a new thing to sing about that. If you weren't in, um, you know the heart, the the gangster rap scene like mm-hmm. NWA and um you know just kind of that area that was talking about the police and you know at that point the police were still the shining beacons of all that is good right you know it was inconceivable to think of cops much less the majority of cops acting this way mhm and so, um, and killing in the name also kind of has a a wider message. It's the reason why he never says what they're killing in the name of. 
Uh, he always uh, leaves it open-ended. And so what he's saying is that it doesn't matter if you're killing for a religion, an ideology, a country, a government, um, a set of whatever set of beliefs um, that anyone that kills in the name of whatever is objectively wrong. Okay. And so that's that's kind of the overall message. But then, of course, there are, you know, concrete things that are saying that, you know, he's saying that we're specifically talking about um, – racism in the police force right i mean just that that line some of those that work forces are the same that burn crosses right i mean just that that's that's that says it all right there but i think it is interesting that he's that he's saying some of those and not all of those Mm. which is the point that america is at right now with the whole defund the police they're saying that all cops are worthless and should be taken down rather than find out which ones are the bad ones and get rid of those. I, I think that's a nice distinction to make. And so, you know, I, I, had, with... always, I had always viewed this song as being completely like anti police period. Uh-huh. You know? And I never I never really I never really looked looked at the specific wording of why didn't he choose all, but that's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. So it's yeah, it's I th- I th- that was something that I didn't notice until recently that I was just like, hmm, he's not saying all those that work forces. He's saying some of those. Mm-hmm. Gotta figure out which ones do. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, just to hammer it even home, we've got the the chorus of saying, those who died are justified for wearing the badge, they're the chosen whites. Mm-hmm. Which, again, mm-hmm. just tells you everything to know of what, what specifically we're narrowing down in this song. Mm-hmm. And that was actually what um, the lyric that Tom Morello tweeted with a picture of the cop kneeling down on George Floyd. And that was the lyric that he put under there was those who died are justified for wearing the badge. They're the chosen whites. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. Okay. And so um let's talk about the music before we get to the uh how this song builds to the end. Okay. So yeah. we've yeah. actually got something that's actually pretty unique for a Rage Against the Machine song of it's almost like this it's this extended instrumental intro. Yeah, with Which, nice big open cores. It's a great introduction to the set. Uh huh. 
Which, uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of those, when I decided that this was going to be the first song, I was just like, you know what? This is the best thing because we get this extended uh, getting to know the band before the, the lyrics drop. Mm-hmm. And because uh, we get a lot of we get several riffs that really aren't used anywhere else in the song. I mean, it's where we've got a tempo change. We've got several tempo changes feel changes um you know you've got that incredible that's an alt that's this song is almost like master of puppets in this the way before the lyrics even yeah come in, we get like three of the greatest riffs ever written yeah <laughs> and it's then you, uh-huh and um then you get that amazing main riff of the ba ba da 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 with that nice you know killing in the name of and then all of a sudden we have that tempo change uh-huh it's, it's, Man, such, it's this... such a good use of tempo change too it's not uh-huh. kind of, it's not kind of like the the dream theater-esque tempo change i'm going to try to change things up you know to kind of throw people off you know mm-hmm. it's, it's the tempo change of Oh yeah, we're grooving. <laughs> For yeah. lack of a better explanation, you know, the best kind. So, the way that Tom Morello came up with that main riff was that um, he was a guitar instructor in his spare time. He mm-hmm. was teaching a student how to play in drop D because that's what the song is in, and he just he came up with that riff of just kind of explaining how to write drop. D riffs mm-hmm. and afterward he was just like oh I need to hold on to that that's a great riff that's, that's pretty and cool and it becomes one of the most one of the most iconic riffs ever written mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's crazy I mean he's not usually a drop D guitarist I think maybe he um is. There have been songs that I've been surprised to learn are in alternate tunings, although I don't think they normally go to the drop D. Okay. But, yeah, so, and then let's also look at just the way the lyrics are being presented. So, in pretty much every other Rage Against the Machine song in this set, the lyrics are very eloquent they're very complex they're constructed like like hip-hop where killing in the name is very different it's it's not concerned as much about flow and rhythm as it is just drilling the a point into your head over and over and over again it's almost like a mantra yeah and the way that I heard someone describe it was that this is meant to be a meant to copy a protest, you know, like you could imagine like people in the streets going, some of those are workforces are the same that burn crosses. Like you know, oh. how they have those phrases that they'll repeat over and over again as a mass. Mm hmm. Or something like, those who died are justified for wearing the bads or the chosen whites. Mm-hmm. Like, the, that's stuff that people would say, you know, in a big rally. 
That's true. And that's what I think that he's trying to get across with this. Cause there's, there has, there's obviously a reason for the way that in this one song, he's completely changed the entire way that he does lyrics. Mm-hmm. Because there's really only like five different lines in this whole song. Right. And it, and, uh, it, and it, the whole thing repeats. Mm-hmm. So you have that level of repetition as well. Yep. Which I think was a good choice. There was another tempo change there to kind of drop things when you, after they mm-hmm. repeat. Yeah. You know? and, and and that's kind of what made me realize they're they're very much a feel band. Mm-hmm. Very, very much. Because I, I, it almost sounded like they both sides or like one of the sides in the studio they're just copy-pasted. And they just happen to have sped up. I doubt that's what happened, but that was my first initial thought. You know that that t- is a tool that they use to communicate intensity and not yeah. just volume. Uh huh. Yeah, and so then also, you know, like I said, to how there's this overlying theme of the people rising up. This is where. We have our now you do what they told you mm-hmm. coming mm-hmm. in of looking at all the people saying, you know, that, you know, the the police, these racist cops are trying to hold their authority over you and you're just doing what you're told. But then it all flips when it comes to the very end and over and over and over again we chant f you i won't do what you tell me yeah which i would say is maybe the quote that could best sum up 2020 yeah <laughs> in many many ways than one yeah huh yeah that's that's pretty funny you know may, maybe not a complete summary but <laughs> Yeah. I mean just it's the it's the this has been the year of I've seen so many videos of people having these insane public meltdowns about tons of different things about having to wear face masks in grocery stores about having to social distance mm-hmm. of people going crazy because public parks have been closed Obviously, mm-hmm. all of the rioting that's happened. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that's I feel like that that's what's on everyone's minds is everyone's got this attitude of F you. I won't do what you tell me. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the underlying emotion that everyone feels. And I think it's the reason why, in particular, this song has become so um, popular again is because it's everyone feels this way to a certain extent. Right. Right. I would say most people kind of just want to be left alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that, the that, world, yeah, the world so much that everything that everyone knows and everything that they've held on to as some kind of sense of normalcy has just completely evaporated. 
Yeah. And it's caused everyone to just retaliate in such a significant way. And so I think what is really effective about the outro of this song is that people can say this about whatever it is that they're frustrated about. Yeah. You know, yes, they, and I think this is again where, where Rage Against the Machine kind of lost in trying to rally people around the, the specific message that they're trying to preach is that you have a song like this where people aren't paying attention really to what the message of the song is. When they get to this point, they're maybe singing this part about their boss that they hate at work or mm-hmm. the, um, the, the financial institutions that are hounding them about the debts that they owe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kids singing this about their parents that are keeping them under their thumb or, you know, a school institute or a religious institute. It can be about whatever it is that is making them want to rebel. And I think the universality of that is really powerful. It it made it able to have mass appeal but it also is i guess somewhat of a failure in conveying the message yeah and we're gonna see that kind of that pattern kind of occur throughout the songs that we're looking at but this was the song that built rage against the machine's career because this was the lead single released from the first album and this was the song that immediately got them into the spotlight there was no you know toiling in obscurity for them they formed in 1990 first album came out in 92 and bam immediately they were at the top yeah this it was the first single this is probably one of the greatest debut singles released by any band in history Oh, for sure. To say that their first single is arguably their greatest song and it's not a one-hit wonder. Yeah, that's true. You know, we have a lot of bands that their debut single is their biggest hit, but then they never do anything after it. Mm-hmm. To have to be as impactful and influential and successful as Rage Against the Machine was and have a song like this be their first first opening salvo that's pretty impressive yeah but surprisingly it's not the song that opens that album i was about to ask because it's it it is a good opener it's the it's strangely enough it's the second song on the album so is the first one on this list yes it is okay but we'll get to that but we'll get to that. Okay. Um, I think we can go ahead and move on. Yeah. Uh, we, had, I had, I talk, we talked a lot about this song. Well, it's it, because it's an important song. And, mm-hmm. uh, but anyway, uh, the next song is... Gorilla Radio. Gorilla Radio. This is one of the songs... I would say I've heard of the names of almost all the songs on this list and this is one of them but i never actually listened to it and i was i was pleasantly surprised 
because of of the way that it flows in a very much different way than killing in the name. You know, now we have, you know, a little bit of rap going on. Uh-huh. And that was and... that kind of ended up being the point is this like, you know, Killing in the name as was is this huge monolithic song, and it's like now after getting everyone riled up, especially with that final segment, now it's time to to get things rolling. Mm-hmm. With that really cool intro. Oh man, that yeah. intro is so good. <laughs> this this song is cool. I would say really close to being my favorite rage song next to killing in the name. Ooh. Ooh, okay. This song just the that that main riff is so good. The chorus is so good. I love the guitar solo, the outro. Just everything about the song is just it grooves and pumps so well. Mhm. But I think I think with all the parts of it that I love, to me that intro is just so fire. It is good uh, because it it sounds like you know we're starting up and we're getting ready to rock, and then the riff hits, and oh man, it's 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 just it's yeah. <laughs> this is this is your this is your typical rage against the machine style song you've got this great bluesy hard rock riff with the futuristic tones added in with by tom morello right Um, you've got a furious and eloquently spoken zach de la rocha just um just completely decimating people with his words um, the drums and the bass are just pounding along. There's no, um, there's no weird tempo changes or feel changes. It's just straightforward. It's in, it's out, and that's that's for the most part how Rage plays their game. So I'm gonna guess the meaning of the song. Good luck. Okay. Well. That's why I was telling you I was going to guess. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> he is talking about the once we have overthrown the totalitarian regime or, or whatever it is, and we all radio each other. I don't know. That's honestly all I've gathered. Yeah, uh, um, and the reason I said that was because I didn't know what this song was about until I looked it up. Okay. So, do you know do you, you know about like guerrilla warfare? Yes. That, what that means in the term of I am I'm really good at waging that in Nerf battles. <laughs> so guerrilla radio was their way of um, transmitting secret radio messages to help bolster the guerrilla forces to overthrow the totalitarian regimes. Mm-hmm. And so they are talking about this song is ultimately about themselves and about their their power. 
mm-hmm. you can tell that in the opening line where they say transmission third world war third round a decade of the weapon of sound above ground so mm-hmm. this is their third album so it's the third round of them doing this music and they're saying a decade of the weapons this, this is in 1999 it's close to a decade when they formed at that point mm-hmm. and they're saying that they're no longer an underground band they are above the ground you know they're one of the biggest wow. bands in the world at that time there was a lot in that one line yes that's what i again this was finally like i could literally it would take me 30 minutes per song to go through every single line and explain what he's talking about. So I've got to really control myself <laughs> to kind of talk in more broad strokes. But the way that I was looking at everything is that there's two verses. The chorus is the same every single time. Just lights out, gorilla radio, turn that blank up. Yeah. And um, what he's doing is in each verse – he's presenting a different um, current event that's going on at that time in 1999 and talking about how, um, you know, it takes a band like them to really show the truth of what's going on. So in the first verse, he's talking about the upcoming 2000 election with uh, Al Gore and George Bush more for mm-hmm. gore of the son of the drug lord, none of the above, effort cut the cord. Saying that it doesn't matter who you vote for in this day and age, it doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat, you're going to lose either way because in the end, the government is controlled by the capitalist uh, companies. That mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what their beliefs are, that ultimately the agenda of the corporations will be done and that the corporations will never have your interests in mind. They'll always take their side first. Hmm. And so he's saying that, so, so more for Gore. So he's saying, are you going to vote for Gore or the son of a drug Lord, which, um, you know, his George H.W. Bush, which was George Bush's father, was very much um, a big proponent of the war on drugs, which ended up being, as we've kind of seen in retrospect, kind of an ill-advised way of trying to criminalize drugs and drug users. Mm -hmm. And so he's saying none of the above don't, you know, he's saying instead of voting for either corrupt side let's completely overthrow the system and start from scratch Hmm. and so this is the message that they're sending over their guerrilla radio Mm. it's not in another country it's like in they're saying this is the guerrilla radio of america and that they're the message that's being broadcast and also, just again, playing, because in military sense, radio is not playing music. It's playing communication, battle strategy. But they're saying their music is the battle strategy. It is the the um, the radical propaganda. Hmm. And so then in verse 2, um, 
they're talking about um, a uh, um, this. I had to really look at this. I'm re-looking at it again just to make sure I'm talking about this correctly. There, um, there's this line about Mummia Go On Be Free, which was about a um, at the time an African American that was potentially wrongly convicted of killing a police officer. Uh And so he's saying, you know, now this is talking about how uh, kind of tying in a little bit to killing in the name of, you know, African-Americans being profiled and um, overly criminalized for, deeds that perhaps first off that they didn't commit or are being over penalized for lighter affairs mm-hmm. and about specifically the media is always spinning things to be very sensationalist um, that the media is trying to portray things as um, way more than they already are just because the more they shock people, the more they get them to watch their station or click on their website and the more money they make. Vicarious. Uh-huh. Mm. And those talking about all you pen devils, so the people that are the journalists not being journalistically um, – not having any journalistic integrity. That's the word I was trying to look for. Not really looking for truth, but looking for for the, the story. Yes, they're spinning it in whatever way, whatever leaning their media enterprise has, whether that be liberal or conservative. Mm-hmm. And so he's saying and specifically with the media radio being part of it he's saying that he's hijacking that radio it's my radio dial now hmm. contact i hijacked the frequencies so uh, okay okay and so just... that's and so it's so it's two verses kind of talking about two different things but overall the saying the same thing if that makes any sense right so basically they are the guerrilla radio mm-hmm. and so then that leads us into the bridge where it's, he says it has to start somewhere it has to start sometime what better place than here what better time than now and then all hell can't stop us now uh-huh which is a great it i i think that was a great choice to not have any pickup to that because usually when you have you know like a a really dynamically low point you know you'll have a pickup like a snare hit or whatever but it's yeah. like it just comes straight on full blast on the one and he just says all oh, hell can't stop us now it was, a, it was a great choice to not pick up yeah because it's suddenly that that was their message that you talked about in, in part one that that they wanted to start the revolution and that the mm-hmm. revolution was going to happen at any moment, you know. And so that that's kind of the feeling that you get from that part of the song. Or that's the feeling I got. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, go ahead and – because we haven't started to um, 
we haven't really talked about how their guitars sound. So tell tell me what you feel about this guitar solo because I this is I really like this guitar solo, but you as being the guitar guy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, if maybe I, you have some, I, I, uh, I would say a lot of the guitar solos in this set are very dis- distinct, but they're like their own song in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. And so for me in my mind, it's hard, hard to like place them to each song. Like, obviously I know which one is killing in the names, um, but they, they're like, they're like their own main event to me as a guitar player, having the different uh-huh. sounds. Yeah. Um, and even though they're not, you know, the most technical, the most flashy, the most melodic things. It he's kind of still showing off like what he can do with the guitar in a very different sense. Mm-hmm. And so, kind of the the scratchy, I don't even know how to make that noise with my mouth sound that he makes with this one. At least yeah. if I'm remembering the right one. Um. It's it sort of fits the idea of a radio, I guess, thematically, but at the same time, I think it was one of those where he was just pulling out one of the millions of sounds in the back of his head that he knows he can make and put it into a song. I don't think it's anything more than that, personally, and I haven't listened to as much Rage Against the Machine as you have, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. But... But I just didn't know their own songs. I didn't know if you had any insight on just like maybe how he was creating that. No, no idea other than maybe some pick scrapes and some wah, maybe. But even the wah would be a little bit of a stretch. I don't think he's doing that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's probably just a combination of EQ and amp settings and just the right level of drive and noise gate and just some pick scraping. That's what it sounds like to me. And we'll definitely see that on the fifth song, I think. Uh, because because most of most of the sounds, I think he makes most of the sounds he he'll pretty much just do with the guitar and a, um, a pitch bending pedal. Mm-hmm. You know that'll control with his foot. He uses that in the solo to um, uh, "Killing in the Name." Yeah, and I, he doesn't seem like one of the gear gods necessarily. Uh, maybe I don't know. I haven't studied him personally. That's my two cents. That was okay. a bunch of, that was a bunch of different ideas. <laughs> All right, a couple of other things about this song is that um, this is the highest charting an America song that they ever released as well as they did win a Grammy for this song. But not <laughs> Killing in the Name? No. Huh. Okay. Well, it is on their third album. Yeah, so by this first. point, they were a pretty big deal. So this this is, this is was definitely the big song of that album. And okay. speaking of that album... Let's move on to another song from this album, Sleep Now yes. and Fire. This is a 
legendary song I know. Mm-hmm. Um, another one that I've heard the name of, but I never really listened to, and I'm glad. I'm really glad that it was on this list. Um, so I know that he's talking about um, different reasons that, or different excuses maybe, that people have for violently defending what they have or what they believe. That's my guess. So, no. Okay. Um, so this song is about uh, is about capitalism pretty specifically and about um, America's manifest destiny or I guess you could even say white Christian philosophy of that because they are, you know they viewed themselves as the superior beings that they believed that the world was given to them as destiny and that they deserve to have everything that went along with it. Hmm. That what they're protecting is their birthright to have whatever they want. And they'll protect it with fire. Yes. And then kind of the whole thing about it is that the the media and the capitalist corporations are um, really trying to control the people by having them sleep in the fire. Pretty much telling them just like, I know that you're burning, but don't worry, you can't feel anything. Kind of like, mm. you know, the meme where you see like... is something that's like in a house that's on fire and it just says this is fine this is fine yeah i know what you're talking about that's exactly what that means okay. they're you know what's what we're doing we're we're sleeping and ignoring the fact that everything around us is burning and that we're dying but we have been taught to just ignore it and you know everything's fine nothing to see here hmm and okay, that's, uh, that's more complex than I thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and pretty much just the whole thing about, um, you know, that anyone that tries and rebels against this system is going to be punished. Because the fact that we have made all of this the norm and it's so difficult for the norm to be bucked that mm-hmm. it's it's a losing battle right from the start. Mm-hmm. I'll jail and bury those committed and smother the rest in greed. So anyone that opposes us, we're gonna th- we're gonna throw away in jail for being disturbers of the peace, and everyone else will will buy off and make them complacent because we're giving them all of their material desires. Hmm. Okay. And it's interesting. Yeah. So, um, musically, this is one of my favorite rage songs. Uh, that, that main riff is so good. And this is actually Mm -hmm. my favorite Tom Morello guitar solo. Really? Yes. Just the way the way that it comes in and the just the suddenness of it and the rapid fire of it. 
where it's just it goes from that from the guitar riff just playing by itself and and Zach screaming and the band just pumps in and it comes with yeah this is this is another one that sounds like kind of that scraping well so I actually do think I know what is making that sound okay and it's um he's pretty much just uh using a whammy bar on feedback and he's flicking the uh the the toggle switch on the guitar to where it's just he's creating that high pitched sound because hmm. I remember there was a there was a good friend of mine that recreated that solo when we were in school and was ex- kind of explaining it hmm. I think I remember seeing that somewhere, but I didn't recognize the song name at that point. So, hmm. Okay. That makes that makes less sense, but <laughs> you know, just just my ears like that that I can't see that happening. Maybe he has it on a guitar where like the pickup selector has a setting on it that will go silent. Mm-hmm. Then, then that'll make sense. I mean, Randy Rhodes did that a lot. Yeah. Um, so I can kind of see that, but I don't know how this, that scraping, maybe it isn't scraping. Maybe I'm pretending I'm hearing scraping. I don't, I don't know what you're hearing that could be scraping. Maybe, maybe it's got the, the whammy bar that makes it sound like it's a pick scrape. Because with a pick with a pick scrape, you'll have that that, and I don't mean scraping like metal scraping on a concrete floor. I mean scraping like like a pick scrape, right? And you, and you'll have that yeah. Thing. I know what you're I know what you're talking about with right that, that I, just, I, I never thought pitch. of anything in there being a pick scrape. I mean, now again, I'm very <laughs> much less in tune with the guitar than you are. Right, and I've never really been one of those people who's tried to make weird sounds with the guitar, mm-hmm. purely with the guitar. So, even though I I like to think that I can do that, you know, I I just don't. It's not the kind of guitarist I am. So, that's probably part of why I thought that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my. Um... I had a I had a the same friend that was in high school. He had his like his own band that they would do intentionally crappy sounding songs, but in such way that it was like musician gags. Like people that know theory know this. Like these guys are intentionally playing bad on purpose because they're actually really good musicians. <laughs> It's just, you know, a normal person will listen is just like, what the heck is this? This is terrible. But um, people that are musicians listen to it and they're just like, I, I get the little gags you're putting in here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so he he called, they called this band Mangbana and they did a Rage Against the Machine parody just about... Mm-hmm. Um, it's called put it in the microwave. Uh, and it's just uh, about heating up pasta. But Sleep Now in the Fire was the song that they had drawn the most inspiration from because they went spaghetti, linguini, the feta, 
genie just like doing the the nina the pinta santa maria line yeah that is that is actually a really good line and that's my favorite line of the song yeah and um i had heard that before i ever heard sleep now in the fire oh, and uh i remember hearing the song for the first time and being like oh my gosh that's the song that they were parroting Hmm. Hmm. So that was yeah. my kind of exposure to that song was hearing the 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 parody first. Right. I mean that that's the way it was for me in Pearl Jam, <laughs> you know, with the Tim Hawkins stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, no, I I totally understand that, um, and it's it's weird that he's saying "Sleep Now in the Fire" like the chorus. Like saying, hey, yeah. hey, sleep now in the fire. It's such a, like a, a raging voice, you know, uh-huh. because it's it's not sleep now in the fire, everything's okay, you know, kind of thing. It's like sleep now in the fire or else. Yes, exactly. Right. So he's, yeah, he's he's the voice of, of you know, the evil corporations. Mm-hmm. And he's, it's the whole point is just kind of, um, cause the whole perspective is from the enemy here and not from the protester mm-hmm. because it's a lot of I and you talking about, you know, it's, it's them talking to us and he's just kind of telling just like, this is what they're really saying past their, um, all of the the nice packaging ways that they say things. Right. So um, we'll go ahead and move on to the next song here, though. Okay. And that is Bomb Track. Bomb Track. Hey, yo, we're talking about the Bomb Track. Uh-huh. We're it's back on the Bomb the, Track. We're back on the first album now. Yeah, so this is actually what opens their first record. Okay. Okay. I didn't see this being an opener. I can I can see it being an opener. I mean, just because I always listened to the album and heard this song first. This seems like uh, such a good third song to me. You know, that, that third kind of slower, groovier one? Mm-hmm. So now is it kind of weird for you to imagine listening to the album where Bomb Track comes on and then Killing in the Name? Yes, it is. Oh my goodness! I mean, I guess, it, but they are a it, slow, groovy band, so yeah, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, this is this is uh, this was also another single off of that album, and this is this song I put here specifically just to kind of slow things down a little bit, especially after those first three songs. It's it's just unbridled intensity. Mm-hmm. And even though, again, like I said, there's no such thing as a Rage Against the Machine ballad, um, I still wanted to kind of at least kind of slow things down a little bit to where it wasn't as intense. Mm-hmm. So um, that was kind of my reasoning upon this here. And I've I've always loved this song. I love playing the bass track to this song. Yeah. Especially that opening line of the do 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 do. Mhm. Mhm. 
Okay. So because yeah, because <laughs> this because this song is the first one on the album. This song is pretty much about themselves, them announcing their arrival, saying that you know it's bomb track being a double meaning, saying that you know our our songs and our lyrics are the bomb, but at the same time they have the explosive capabilities of a bomb. And this is the track. Uh-huh. This is the track, and we're going to ignite the bombs, and we're going to watch it all burn. Burn, burn, yes, you're going to burn. Hmm. I always thought this was from, like, the Sleep Now in the Fire perspective. Mm-mm. Because we had just come off of a fire song. They're both saying... literally and figuratively. <laughs> yeah, they're... They're they're gonna burn down everything that they see that needs to be burned down again. Going back to the message of the people will rise up and destroy the powers that be. Mm-hmm. So he's just you know that's it's there's this is the one that has I would say the least amount of depth to it. This is more of just their mission statement. It's a prologue, which in that sense it makes. It understands why this is the first song on the album. Yeah. This is them giving you a taste of we're not going to really get into a lot of the specific political examples. They're just telling you just like, listen, this is why we're here. Uh, The whole first verse is just saying that about in general about that music has a responsibility to be a force for change. And that was their opinion about it. Again, just saying that the message comes first and that if you are going to try and um, ascend to the level of being music superstars, you need to use that power to uh, invoke change. Okay. And so that's kind of their, their statement. And so just, you know, this song is is them coming in and saying this is what we're all about and then just imagine from there going into Killing in the Name where they where they really make do with their statement. Yeah. So in that sense, it, I understand why this is the first track on the album. And now I do too. You know, now, now that you explain that. Mm-hmm. And it, and also from another sense, you know, thinking about it as well is like it, it opens with that bass and guitar. And so like we haven't heard the whole band yet, obviously. Um, if you're a first time listener, like if, if we were back in 92. Uh-huh. Uh, and so having that introduction like that and then the sudden rush in of that really slow groovy riff i can kind of see that it once again it's hard for us in 2020 having heard their entire catalog but yeah so um i have a feeling this is probably your least favorite of the set from kind of what i was in yeah but it's not it's not notably weaker i'd say i mean I mean, I would say it's if my I had to choose well, the weakest again. one. If I had to choose the weakest one, yeah. Um, 
but it didn't stand out as being super weak. Yeah, it's still it's a strong. Good. It's a really, it's still a really strong song. Yeah. It's... Um, and so yeah, it's just like yeah, we get a small little taste of we get one of the most normal sounding Morello guitar solos. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, at the very end during the last chorus, that's kind of when he breaks out a little bit of his bag of tricks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, just I think it's it's all setting us up for Killing in the Name to where then we're going to really see what this band is about. Yeah. Morello, Morello brings out his big guns for the weird sounds as well as his big riffs. Um, yeah, and the big chords that open it up. Yep. So, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, I would say besides that, this is the one that I would say I could, you know, we can, we don't have to pick apart as much. Right. Especially because we can pick apart a lot of the next two songs. Oh, yes, we can. So, keeping with the theme of the first album. Yeah. We can move on to our next song, which is the song that we covered exclusive for Patreon. Yes. Um, so if you want to become a patron, you get access to this as well as our previous exclusive covers. Um, this is, oh, what's it called? Bullet in the Head. Bullet in the Head. Bullet in the Head. Forgot the name of it because it it also starts with the B, you know, bomb track. And so I was I was gonna say bomb track. And I'm like, nope, that's not what it is. <laughs> we just talked about that one. We just talked about that one. So talk about the lyrics first. Yeah. So this song is all about the media and about propaganda and about brainwashing. There are no literal bullets being fired in this song. Ooh. The bullets are all metaphorical. Oh my goodness, that is so smart. Oh my gosh. Are you brain dead? You got a bullet in your head. Uh-huh. Pretty much just talking about how the people are becoming zombies to be slaves to consumerism. The in-house drive-by. Uh-huh. It's literally in your house. Yep. And the... The the corporations say jump and you say how high. Pretty much saying, you know, not only buy this, buy that, you need this, you need that, but then also the media saying vote for this, vote for that, believe this, believe that. You're not, you have to be a good American and, and buy all the things that you need for your house, which that was the... That was the big message of the 90s that all the movies were talking about just, you know, lambasting. It's what Fight Club was all about. It was what The Matrix was all about. It was about denying the um, the materialistic message that's constantly being thrown at you and wake up and see what's really going on. You're yeah. being fooled. And they... Uh, they pack the nine, they fire it at primetime, primetime television. That is... Wow. That was so well done. 
Yeah, this this is one like, where I feel like you just explained Octavarium to me again. <laughs> I love like I I actually I actually feel like that, but not as intense. But it's like that same feeling of like, oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Believe wow. in all the lies that they're telling you, buying all the products that they're selling you. Oh, you can you can quote more and more and more, and it will just it will make me spend more mental energy trying to understand i mean but i already understand i don't know how to explain it <laughs> yeah but yeah that's just that's what's happening they're just there's yeah you know the you're acting like you've been you've got a bull in the head they're they're just again i give a shout out to the living dead being you know that's what everyone has become is they've become the living dead zombies yeah who stood and watched as the feds cold centralized so serene on the screen you was mesmerized. Hmm. So, I mean, yeah, that's just, that's the whole thing. And then just, we kind of go back a little bit to the, the effectiveness of killing in the name where he just keeps saying a bullet in your head, a bullet in your head over and over and over again as the intensity climbs. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the music now. Okay. So I quite honestly still don't know what he's doing with the guitar here. This is another one where I think he's doing some pitch bending stuff with the pedal. You'll definitely have to find out for a recording. Yeah, I'll definitely have to find out. Yeah. Before the cover's released. The cover's released by the time you guys are listening. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I mean, obviously, since we're recording this before, you know, that is, we still have some work, or I still have some work. Lucas has done all the work. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it sounds kind of like he's doing, like, some really overdriven, really distorted, like, weird chords combined with some pedal pitch shifting. Mm-hmm. What it sounds like to me. Um, it because you know that's just the stuff that, or those that's the equipment that he has all the time. Yeah, or uses all the time. Um, and I I think that's the only weird sound. I think he continues it for the solo. I can't quite remember. Yeah, the that the solo is really cool and really unique sounding. Okay. I can't, uh, I can't quite remember what, what it is. Oh, yeah. Oh. Everyone's going to love hearing me doing my Tom Morello guitar impersonation yeah. on this episode. Yeah. I'm going to get all this great fan mail saying that, that's it's sounded just like the recording. That's, a, that's another one that sounds like um, scraping. <laughs> It sounds like scraping. Yeah, uh, I just I don't think it I don't think it is though. Tell you what, we are almost at an hour. Yes, we are. So we should probably. But it's it's not giving me the warning that it normally does when I'm coming up on an hour. So I'm wondering if maybe they are letting me go past now. We're gonna find out in three seconds. Oh boy. 
It didn't kick us off. Let's keep going. I'll just edit this okay. part out. Okay. So, it, um, so anyway, I, oh gosh, what was I saying? What was my, what was my last sentence? We were talking about, um, I know we were talking about the solo. We were talking about my brilliant impersonation. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think you impersonated it perfectly, but I mean, you know, you got pretty close. You got the point across. Uh, don't patronize me. <laughs> no, well, it it reminded me of what it was, so it did its its purpose. No, I think I think that's a that's a scraping thing where he's using the pick scrape, uh, or not the pick scrape, but kind of the mouth sound you know that Eddie Van Halen would do live, uh, to kind of you know fill time. Uh. <laughs> um, he'd make kind of mouse noises with his with his pick um, up close to the pickups. That's what it sounds like to me. Um. So we've but, got we've got pretty much like a a funk based right rhythm going through the first half of the song, right? With mo- some mo- with with the big openness in the chorus, but then yeah, we get a change about halfway through the song. Most most of the stuff is pretty much just drum bass groove. Uh huh. Boom yeah. boom, boom 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 boom. That that mm-hmm. bass chord is so nasty sounding. It it's weird to have chords on a bass, but I mean with such a such a clean tone compared to the tone on like killing in the name, you know? I love bass uh, chords. I love the, the opportunities when I get to use them. and uh, I, I know because sometimes they aren't heard. Uh-huh. But in this song they are, which is nice. Um, yeah, I get a nice little bass solo right at the beginning. I mean, not solo as in getting to uh, so low, but to where I'm the only one playing. That doesn't get to happen very much in these cover songs. Right. Now, now they are, you mentioned, or you were about to mention the change up about halfway through. Yes. Um, the, to me, this is like what really puts the song over the top. It is. It is. And it was it was a contender for my favorite song because of this mm-hmm. part. You know, when they have the you know, and it's it's essentially that riff over and over and over again, played in different ways, played with different dynamics, different instruments. Not not out, with the bass. The bass, when I laid down the bass track, I was literally doing the same thing over and over and over again. Well well, but it's like it's like the, the drums are played differently. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Loud, I know what you mean. Soft. Um, the guitar completely cuts out for part of it. And I, re- I really like that in songs when you're able to keep that riff going and going and going. Like you're able to have that riff be a breakdown where you get low dynamically and that same riff come back to be the high point in the song. Yep. It's Fantastic. a brilliant use of repetition. Right. And it's, and it's hard to do that because you have to have the right riff. You have to do it the right way. You have to have the rest of the song support it. You know, they couldn't have done this at the beginning of the song. Yeah. They had to, they had to have had the rest of the song to, support the the breakdown the really intense breakdown and then the when it comes back you know when when the guitars come back and it gets more intense and more intense and then eventually they go double time um 
I I think you're right. That is a that is a great use of repetition. Yeah. And just you know, it's to me this this set up the the finale of the set quite well because we brought the intense emotion back after a brief moment of kind of some some more subdued jamming with bomb track in the first half of bullet in the head. Yeah. That now we can kind of go into the big finale, which I felt like bulls on parade was a great way to end the set. And with a classic and Mm -hmm. kind of with this big anthemic, um, song. Right. Totally my favorite song of the set. <laughs> I mean, now, yeah, I mean, I'm assuming you had known the song beforehand. I I, I had, um, uh, but I hadn't known it for very long. Uh-huh. It's, it's only been a few months. One of my really actually, like recommended it to me. You know, he we were talking about, um, you know, like what kind of music we liked. And I said, you know, at that point I was like, listening to a lot of really groovy the groovy side of pantera and i was like you know killing the name is a really cool thought or song i wish that you know i knew other rage against machine songs that were like it and he recommended this song so i listened to it and it's like it's it's become a permanent part of my listening catalog you know for quite a while uh-huh. um, but uh no and it, and it has that riff that's such iconic riff yeah i mean totally monumental riff that just hits you right in the gut as soon as you put the song on um and and it's and it's so simple it's Uh just an octave riff you know it's not it's not like holy wars or something where it's just super intense and you know every note of the 12 tone scale is being used yeah it's just a nice octave groovy riff but still in your face yeah and uh yeah i feel like this song until recently was kind of the big iconic rage against the machine song like any time in the past that i would like see countdowns of you know best hard rock songs like bulls on parade always was the the rage against the machine song that got talked about more than any other uh-huh. and i feel like now it's kind of like it's turned more into being killing in the name oh yeah for it's, sure. it's become more applicable mm-hmm. as bulls on parade the message is much more obscure to where it's not universal where in a song like killing in the name, even if you don't get the intended message, you get your own message out of it. And that's ended up resonating with people. So let's talk about that message with bulls on parade. I'm pretty sure I know what it is. Okay. So I'll I'll have you talk about it anyway. Well, go ahead and give me your interpretation. Okay. So what these have been, Okay, I I I'm pretty sure this is an anti-cop song. No, no. I okay. mean, there's a there's a small portion of it that can be, but it's 
what it's really about is um it's about um just again capitalism and corporations this time fueling and being the main force behind war about about war opportunists and about how you know the reason why we go to war is because that's when they make their best money war is good for profit yep yep it's the reason it's how we got out of the great depression i mean it is that's why there's a lot of people that suspect that the American government knew Pearl Harbor was going to happen ahead of time and let it happen anyway as an excuse to get into the war. I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily believe that, but there are people who say it. And again, just continuing to try and be impartial in the way that I present all this info, but just the whole thing is about how, you know, the big line that jumps out to me is weapons, not food, not homes, not shoes, not need, just feed the war cannibal animal. Just saying how the, the government and the, and the big companies could put all of their resources into providing more food, more homes, more clothing for people instead of making everything about weapons. Hmm. Yeah. You know, and just about how we are a society that um, that is so harsh on um, crimes that include weapons, yet the same people that condemn uh, gangsters with weapons also are the big weapons
Welcome back, everyone, to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about Rage Against the Machine and the six songs that we picked for this episode. Just to recap, those six songs were Killing in the Name, Gorilla Radio, Sleep Now in the Fire, Bomb Track, Bullet in the Head, and Bulls on Parade. Remember that the... uh, link in the description of the episode will take you to a spotify playlist where you can listen to all of those songs as well as all songs from previous episodes and also on our youtube channel we have a cover of killing in the name up on there and for exclusively for our patrons we have a cover of bullet in the head in our five dollar tier so if you want to hear us cover that song uh go be a patron and you'll be able to hear it so Let's go ahead and get into our final thoughts. So, Grant, you had said that you had very little experience with Rage Against the Machine before this episode. So tell me kind of where you started and where you are now. So before this episode, I had heard Killing in the Name and Bulls on Parade, and that's it. Um, oh, I didn't realize it was that limited. That's how limited it was. Yeah, that's that's why I was asking for more rage songs. That was the only one I got, but I stopped there because I really like Bulls on Parade. Um, and um, who you know what kind of message they were trying to give, but I didn't know that that was the whole point. I didn't really know how l- limited their history was. Um, and through listening to the, the different songs and kind of also you talking about it, I've kind of gained a little bit of appreciation for Tom Morello and his, um, innovation on the guitar. Um, and then also lyrically, you know, going through bullet in the head, like we just did, you know, that's, that's some really good lyrics, Mm-hmm. You know, because it the the meaning was completely hidden to me, but once it was revealed, it was like obvious. It was this if I should have known it the whole time. Uh huh. Um, which is I have a feeling that's happened to a lot of people. That's that is fantastic. I mean, I I that's fantastic, and just oh, that know, was you were so your father right there. What that's fantastic. Fantastic. You know what? <laughs> I. I, I yeah, I can't argue with that. But um, n- no, I mean they groove a lot. I like bands that groove. I will probably be listening to more of them in the future. That's good. So I think that's my final thoughts. I've grew an appreciation for all of them, and I'm ready to listen to more. All right. Well, <laughs> good thing is that you don't have to rack your brain over what to listen to because there's not much of it out there. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. three albums and three not very long albums either. They're not like 70 plus minute records. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> How about your final thoughts, Lucas? So, um, I have been a Rage fan for a while, but I had, and I, like you said, I always knew that they were a political band. I wasn't that naive to where I was just like, what? This is, they're political? Oh, I didn't know that. 
but I never took the time to actually see what it was they're talking about. I knew that they were radical. I knew that they were pretty far left, but I didn't know like what that meant or what the, the specific messages entailed. And there were just also certain parts of their albums and songs that I had never really heard before. Like uh, Bullet to the Head was actually in preparing for this episode, the one that I hadn't really heard before that when I heard it, I was just like, Oh, I have to get this on the set list. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was really glad that I stumbled across that song. And yeah, so my appreciation has definitely gone up. Um, I feel like I understand the band more discovered a lot more of their songs I hadn't heard before that I now really like. And I feel like I just, I understand them so much more, even though, again, I'm not going to say whether or not I agree with everything that they're saying. Still, there's a respect for at least understanding what their viewpoint is and at least being able to use that as a way to think about what I believe in. And, you know, just kind of see, okay, you know, in light of what I've heard, how does that factor into what I think and how I feel? And I think that's an important thing for all of us to do from time to time is to just continually check and make sure we're not just blindly believing what we're being told. Mm -hmm. Which regardless of if you align specifically with their vision, I think that even they have to admit that that's something that they would approve of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yes, my appreciation has gone up for them throughout this process. And that those are the reasons why. All right. So I think that's it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening once again. Um, Make sure to check us out on social media, on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, Hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to. Send us some comments on what artists you would like for us to tackle next. Um, If you want to be a patron, the link is in the description of the episode. I would highly recommend it as you'll get um, exclusive content and it's just a way to uh, show that you like what we're doing and to help us be able to move towards our goal of doing this full time. Um, We've also got a YouTube channel. Go check that out as well. We've got cover songs on there and um, make sure to go listen to the songs. The link for the Spotify playlist is also in the description of the episode. Um. Next week, we get to go back to what I have said before is the most fruitful period of music, I think, now, which was the 70s. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, we're going to have a special guest, a, uh, a host that's going to join us because he helped us out with the keyboards for the cover songs. So we're, you're going to get to hear three people talking on an episode. Oh, crazy. Yeah, that may or may not be hectic, but yeah. there will be lots of lots of things to hear. Yep, uh, we're going to definitely be doing some trial and error on that. <laughs> but I have a feeling it's going to work out well. Me too, me too. So make sure that you guys uh, tune in 
Monday morning, 9 a.m. Central for that episode. And uh, just, again, thank you. We're almost at that 50,000 mark. And uh, it's just been a blast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Keep on listening to good music.